1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, entrepreneurship, and a whole lot more to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career and life forward. My guest today on the podcast is Jasiri X, founder of One Hood Media, activist, and renowned recording artist, among many other titles and hats that he wears. And Jasiri X is the first independent hip-hop artist to be awarded the Honorable Honorary doctorate, which he received from the Chicago Theological Seminary in 2016. Big ups on that. And Jasari first hit the world stage in 2007 with his viral song, Free the Genesis. And since then, he's gone on to affect real change in many arenas outside of music. But it goes much deeper. Um, I had the privilege to yeah. meet Jasari and the entire One Hood media crew this past September in Pittsburgh at their headquarters. And all I could say, it was a eye-opening, insane, incredible energy experience that hit the heart string, the mind string, the body string, and it was Appreciate just it. badass. And I needed to bring this guy on, unpack his story, and so much more. So let's do this, Jasari X, Welcome to the podcast, Jasiri. I always
2: Jasiri. tell people, I'm, "I'm never, I'm never sorry. I'm always serious." That's all. That's my, that's my, uh, my line for that. You know what I'm
1: saying, <laughs> Jasiri? Man, um, I, 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 you know, I, I like to dig in and do my research on my guests here, and I gather from your story that your mom played a huge role. Um, in your development as a person and an activist, tell us, t- tell us, tell us a little bit about you know growing up with Mama. Tell us about that influence. Yeah,
2: man. I mean, you know,
1: <clears throat> I grew up in a
2: single parent household, right? So, um, and I'm from the south side of Chicago. So, my, my father left when I was very young. My Father left when I was like two, three years old. Um, so, like, my mom was, you know, that she was the parent in the household. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, like me and my mom were like very much alike. Like I was actually supposed to be born on the same, our birthday, which was February 10th, but I was late. It's kind of like, I'm always late anyway. So (laughs) I was late as usual. So I was five days late, but um, our personalities were just a lot alike. And so like, you know, when I was growing up in the South side of Chicago, um, we had actually moved to an area uh, called Roseland, People from Chicago noticed the wild hundreds and it was like more active than the neighborhood that I first grew up in. You know what I'm saying? And so little did I know that my mom was, um, you know, went back to school and she was like plotting our our escape from from the south side. And so um, my mother ended up going to Roosevelt University. She graduated valedictorian Mm -hmm. and she moved us. You know, I started to get of that age where like you know, outside of my door was gang activity. And it wasn't really, it's not like, you know, it was like you rep, you rep your neighborhood, you rep where you come from. You know what I'm saying? My father was in a gang, uh, which is one of the reasons why, you know, my mom decided to kind of take us out of that situation, uh, my mom and my sister. So um, my mom was just adamant, like, you ain't going to get my child. And so she moved us to a suburb of Pittsburgh called Monroeville. And so like, just to put it in context, like Jaseri's my given name. It's Swahili. It means brave warrior. So like my mother raised me to be socially conscious, but I was in the south side of Chicago. Like I was in a 100% black environment. My school was 100% black. So I really didn't experience kind of like race, racism. But when I got to Monroeville, Pennsylvania, <laughs> <Pittsburgh, man. laughs> and um you know, my school was ninety five percent, ninety eight percent white. Um, that's when it kind of hit me, right? And um, and so my mom played a huge role because, again, like when we moved to uh, you know Moreville, which is outside of Pittsburgh, there was no the only family was me, my mom, and my sister. That was it. You know, so we didn't the cousins, uncles,
1: nobody was there. Was just you didn't us. have the support staff. You didn't have. But let me let me let's let's kind of dig into it because that's some crazy shit right there. Um, I mean, I experienced it a little bit in middle school too. I grew up in Brooklyn, and I got a little bit of anti-Semitism growing up as a, as a sure. Jewish kid in Brooklyn, and we got that shit, but nothing to the extent that that you did. And I remember you telling a little bit of this story when we were when we were in Pittsburgh too. Like, how, how old were you when you moved? How old were you when you moved to? to- I was
2: 13. All right, so, so you're you know,
1: you're at a formative age, and you understand shit, exactly. and you understand the words and the hate, and the kids that are yeah. saying, "How did like." How did that feel as a young kid in your formative years, hearing and feeling that negativity? And I mean, you're in such a culture shock; like it's too much sensory overload and negativity. Like you come home to mom, and you're like, "Mom, what? Yeah. I this, mean, is I mean, I remember- this is life. This is real world. Why we do this? Why do we move here? Why?" I was fine. Like so, why?
2: I, I mean, yeah. I was, you know, just two quick stories. Like so, Please. in Marovo, the thing to do was like the mall, Marovo Mall, and mm-hmm. that's like, you know, in in pop culture, I think that's where they filmed one of the the. Walking Dead, or one of the um, Rise of the the Dead Seems movies, um, um, George Romero, one of those movies they filmed it in Marova Mall. So first time we go to Morovo Mall, we're leaving the mall, and uh, an intoxicated white man calls us niggas. And I remember like I remember it vividly because I remember thinking like, is he going to try to approach us? Am I going to have to fight this? Because I'm like you know quote unquote the man of the house, although I, I was yeah. the youngest. You the know technically- uh, I have an older sister. I'm the man there, so I remember thinking, like, am I going to have to fight this dude? Do I run up to him? Like, what do I do? How do I protect? How, you know, protecting my mom and my sister was like at the forefront of my mind. You know what I'm of saying? The, my first day going outside in Monroeville, and so like outside of white people in Monroeville, the, the other largest, the largest minority are, are, are people from India because Monroeville had this very large um, Hindu temple. So I go out and I see, you know, people darker than me. You know what I'm saying? like, oh, so I'm, you know, making friends with these two Indian kids, Jignish and and DP. And a white kid comes over and starts to like pick on them. So, you know, I say, I'm I'm like, you know, pick on somebody your own size. And he was like, what, like you? Now, I don't, he probably didn't know I was from the South Side of Chicago. So I just. You got it in your blood. Yeah. I I, I was under a balcony. I grabbed a balcony, kicked him in the chest, beat him down. And that was day one, you know what I'm saying? So like going to school um, and kind of wow. like you said, I, I remember going to school, somebody being racist towards me, says something derogatory about my mom. I beat them down. I get suspended. And so my mom, you know, like she she understood my anger, but my mom was like, look, to my mom, education was everything. You know, my mom became a nuclear engineer, right? So I'm talking about from, from poverty in the South Side of Chicago, to becoming a nuclear engineer. Maybe she I should just have that. your mom
1: on the show. Maybe I should
2: have your mama. <laughs> I mean, she passed. You know, she passed in sorry, in 2017. Man. But um, so I, we still. I, I'm gonna tell you this: when she passed, she didn't even have an engineering degree. I don't even know how she did it. You know what I'm saying? Like, so to my mom, education was everything. So fighting in school meant that's going to go on my permanent record, and that that might affect what colleges I get into. So she was like, "You cannot fight. However, you respond." You cannot fight. And that's how I got into activism, because I knew I had to do something to push back on what I was seeing. I couldn't physically fight. And so I became an activist in at Gateway Senior High School where we started like a club for, for, for uh, students of color. We, we petitioned and actually got to school to teach a black history class. And that was my introduction into
1: activism. Right. Activism, but activism, like with with pacifism, like how do you keep that mentality where, listen, there's times when you need to protect yourself and not violence first?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, like I said, I mean, my mom basically told me, like, I would have to pick another place to live. Yeah, we're going to get kicked (laughs) out of here. We're going to have to move. suspended from fighting. But I think like, I mean, so I actually saw like we were effective in what we did. Right. So, because you know, if I beat up a, a, a white kid, what does that mean? Right. But we actually were able to start a club. Where we created like a support system for students of color that I don't think is still there now, but there were people that came after me that was like, "Hey, I was in that club." You know, there was somebody at the at the event um, that that you were at that was like, "Yo, I went to Gateway and I was a part of that club." Yeah, and it's like, "Oh shit," you know what I'm saying? Legacy. So like, yeah, we were cool. able to get a Black History class taught, even though like it was a white teacher that taught it. He was a cool teacher, you know what I'm saying? He was somebody that was down, so it was like. I actually like students after that were able to learn black history because of what I did. So like that's so much more rewarding and lasting. It has more of an effect
1: than just punching somebody in the face. You know, let, let, let's let's I don't know if you talked about this before. Let's let's just kind of I'm going to make a left turn here. Let's talk about that teacher in that class. I mean, I, I was assuming it'd be a black teacher, but that was a white teacher. But like, how did that affect you? And was that kind of the roots of like understanding like allyship and understanding that like people that don't look like me actually give a shit about helping people like me?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was twofold, right? Because we had one black, teacher. I'll never forget. We had one black teacher. His name was Mr. Smith and he taught typing. That was it. That was the only black teacher we had in the school. And so like, but it was also one of the things where it was like um, a compromise, right? Okay. We got a black history class. Okay. We got this white teacher. But again, he was one of my favorite teachers. He was a teacher who had a like progressive sense and values. I think like looking back, I believe he might've even been, you know, um, um, a, a queer teacher. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, you couldn't do all, say all that back then, you know what I'm yeah. saying? This is like the, 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 the late nineties, you know what I'm saying? So to me, it was that thing of like, okay. And we had like, you know, because gateway was a place that was predominantly white, there were, you know, white allies and white students and folks that, um, were on our side in terms of helping us, To do what we were doing, although I still, you know, at that time harbored a lot of resentment towards white people, and I think, like, also, you know, I think it also showed, like, systemically how, um, you know, the fact that although we had black students, we didn't have black teachers. How systemically that could even affect how you were brought up. So just, just to touch on that, right? So, like, I was a straight A student, and sometimes I would feel bad because I was in classes where I was the only black student. Like I, sometimes I wanted to like, damn, I would rather be in the other classes because that's where the, the black students were. You know what I'm saying? In these classes, I'm I'm the only black student in the class. And so even that carried like a, um, a stigma to it, even though I was a good student, graduated with honors and all of that.
1: Yeah. Let's let's talk about education for a moment. You mentioned how important it was to, to your mom, um, but you didn't actually you didn't finish college, right? How did that sit with your mom?
2: I mean my mom was pissed, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> my mom was tight, you know, I mean and and just to put it in perspective like I went when I left, I I wanted to get out of get out of Monroeville Pittsburgh area, right? I didn't even apply to any Pittsburgh area schools. I was like I'm leaving mm-hmm. and I wanted to be by a city. So I went to University of Maryland College Park. It was a college but it was close to DC. Yep. It was like more black people there uh but 2 years in uh, Maryland raised tuition only on out-of-state students. And because of the expense of it, my mom was like, hey, you can come back to Pittsburgh and you know, I'll get you a car. I'll help you get an apartment. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, it was like, all right, I'll come back. You know what I'm saying? But what I didn't see was when I came back to Pittsburgh, none of my friends were in school and my friends were doing other things besides college And I ended up hanging out with my friends that were doing other things. Story, man, more so than going to school. And then I'm thinking I'm gonna be a rapper. I had started to, I had, I had achieved like local recognition as a rapper as part of a rap group. You know what I'm saying? But so I'm thinking I'm gonna be a rapper, but I didn't have any business. Like I didn't have an idea on how. No acumen,
0: no business acumen.
2: Yeah, hey, bro. I thought like. Yeah, I thought Diddy was going to come or Russell Simmons going to just knock on my
1: door one day. You're like, cover the camera and sign you on the spot, give you a yeah, contract? Like, no. I,
2: I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how to, like, get from Pittsburgh to the world with my music. And so I'm just telling my mom, like, oh man, I don't need what? school. I'm going to be a rapper. And then I find myself, like,
1: you know what was, her re- what was her reaction, man? What was her reaction when you oh, said, "Oh, I, I mean, to she was
2: really, she was, she was, she was really, really angry. She was really upset <laughs> because, you know, my mom, you know, my mom was from that era of like, you go to, you get your degree, you get a good job, and then we like, like that's for your success, life, yeah. right? You, you get a good job and that's your life. And I didn't necessarily like my last year uh, at, at at Pitt. I got um, all Fs and one A, and that was a class on black film." And it was like that was the that was something I was I was interested in. <laughs> I,
1: mean, yeah, I yeah, gotta so. pause for a second. There's there's two kind of funny things here. First and foremost, I, I applied to University of Maryland and I got into the honors, but not the presidential. My parents are like, we live in New York, and both my parents are New York City teachers. They're like, we can't afford to send you there. And then they're like, oh, if wow. you go to a state school, you go to Buffalo, you go to a state school, we could get you a car, we could help you with your apartment. And and, wow. and, 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 and that's that's kind of funny um from from, from that standpoint. But it's like there's a lot of similarities here man it's it's, it's yeah. really uh it, it's really kind of funny but like when when you're let's talk let's 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 shift gears here man let's talk about hip-hop i love to talk about hip-hop yeah here yes, for it's a little good. bit you know for, for me and, it, and it's so funny like for me it's like it's it's wu-tang it's dmx and it's not it's like that's my new york city vibe That like, oh, that's kind of where me. it comes from <laughs> like that's like that's like it for me and like we could probably have a whole separate podcast on your thoughts of the current state of hip hop, which I yeah, can't even like absolutely. like the shit my daughter listens to on the TikTok stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm like yeah, Drake yeah. is it like that Drake what like what what is that? Like what and everything else is like auto tuned and everything. So when we right. when you guys I didn't know what was happening when we came on, you guys hit the stage and I was sitting right in the front. I'm like Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. like, Yeah, I just fucking got like fired up and you guys you guys brought it. And then who who was the dude in the uh in the flakjack that came out, the big dude? Oh, that's Manny! Oh, he 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 just like he just hit yeah, it. Yeah, I Manny. was like, no, that yeah. was that was fire. So let's talk let's talk hip hop. Let's talk about yeah. your hip hop, um, Absolutely. your hip hop influences and like. Well, you just named them. I mean,
2: um, the only one, um, that you didn't name was uh um, Mob Deep. You know, I, I like Mob Deep was Shook Ones was the reason I wanted to rap. Like Shook Ones, I remember where I was. You know, I was riding with friends. I was actually in Newark, and it came, the song came on the radio, and it was like everything stopped. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you know, when he said my gunshots to make it levitate, I, I was like, I got chills. I was like, I couldn't believe. I was like, Who is this? You know? And so I wanted to. It was like, could I give somebody that feeling? And you know, a, a friend of mine, um, he got turntables for Christmas. He was like, I'm gonna be a DJ. You be the rapper. So. I did a rap. It was terrible.
1: <laughs> Our first <laughs> time it, usually is everything, man.
2: Of course, but people like supported me. People um, encouraged me, and then what I what I found out was like it was actually therapeutic, right? Like it was almost
1: like Pathartic. a diary. It was cathartic. You're getting it out.
2: All the stuff that I'm going through at Gateway, I'm writing raps, and so this <laughs> is why my raps are conscious, right? I couldn't write about the streets. I'm in Moroville, Pennsylvania, right? I mean, I'm from Chicago, but I don't live there, and I didn't feel comfortable you know, writing about what was going on in Chicago because I wasn't there. And So, you know, my raps were conscious and I was, but I, like I said, so it was therapy for me. And then, you know, I was able to find my voice. My biggest influence is Nas, you know, like Nas to me is, you know, that person that was able to merge like consciousness, streets and reality in such a in such a powerful me. way. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that was for me. And it was like when I found my voice, but this is the thing that this is what happened, right? People kept telling me, um, nobody wants to hear conscious rap. Like, no one wants to hear conscious music. You know, this was the, like, early 2000s, man. It was a bow wow. It was like, you know, Mm -hmm. shiny suits. You know what I'm saying? So, like, people was telling (laughs) me, like, yeah, people was (laughs) like, no one wants to hear conscious music. So... I stopped rapping because I believed it. Like I believed, like, and I didn't want to be inauthentic in the music that I created. Right, so you I don't just, want to
1: front. You don't want to make. Timbers yeah, timbers.
2: so I just went to you know I I got a regular job. You know I was a mortgage broker for a little bit, and then I started working for Pittsburgh Public Schools, and that was the moment where I kind of started rapping again because. What were you doing in this- the schools? So I was um, I was what was called a teen parent advocate. I was the first person in Pittsburgh Public Schools to do counseling and case management for all the teen fathers. So what that did was it allowed me to go to all these different schools. But in two schools, they said I could do after school programming. Mm. And so the after-school programming I did was a hip-hop club. It's it's fascinating because, you know, uh uh um, you know, Wiz just talked about this on this interview this week, right? that you know, I did a hip hop club at Alderdice and Wiz Khalifa was one of the students that came to my hip hop club. You know what I'm saying? And oh, no he shit. was amazing. Like, no he was, yeah, absolutely. Wow. This, was, this was Cam, you know what I'm saying? We know him as Cam, yeah. but, um, you know, he was already like, when I met Wiz, I think he was a senior. He was already a phenomenal Just... artist already. Like there was, I didn't add nothing. No, he was, he was nice. And we watched him like go from I watched him like go from g- local rapper to international superstar in about two years and and I really like I'm I'm still in awe of you know how he carries himself how he hands himself his maturity you know um his grandfather is a, is a, is a Muslim brother that everybody in the community knows his grandfather Jabril. So that's where that Khalifa part comes from. Um, And yeah, and then, you know, at that same high school was, you know, Mac Miller, man. He rest in peace. Look at this. I remember, you know, Mac, me and Mac were actually on the scene together. Like Wiz kind of, Wiz helped me and Mac really helped me get on because they came before me in terms of having, you know, national success. Wiz went first. And I remember talking to Mac and him saying, man, I'm going out to L.A., I got these meetings as he's about to graduate high school and then seeing Mac blossom. But me and Mac were on the scene at the same time. So we did a lot of shows together. The first cover I was on, uh, me and Mac Miller were on that same cover. Awesome. Man. And so um, you know, and, and so they actually had people say, well, what else is going on in Pittsburgh? Oh, there's this conscious dude named Jasiri that's there. And so although I'm older than both of them, they actually helped open the door of that's Pittsburgh awesome. for me as an artist to get known.
1: What I want to I kind of backtrack and dig into hip-hop a little bit because I don't usually have the opportunity to talk to somebody who, who's actually in the scene here. Yeah. There, there's a collaboration. It's one thing if you're just solo and you're doing your shit on stage by yourself. But, Absolutely. I mean one of the things that I love about Wu Tang Clan is the the contrast between all the voices and how they vibe. Yes. And I've seen documentaries, I've watched them all how they write in the studio man. If you go go Ghostface to the RZA, Ray and it's going back and back and forth. You got and it's like different voices, different vibes coming out of different places. Like give us a little behind the scenes when you guys are are, are putting your show together and you're writing your songs. Like what's a creative process like? Like, let's dig into a little collaboration. I, I never get to talk about it. It's not on my yeah. notes. And I want to dig in a little bit here.
2: It, it's interesting. OK, so like I was when I when I came out in Pittsburgh, I was in a group called Concrete Elite. Right. And so the group was, um all, you know, three, four other rappers from Philly and me. So I and, and so like it would be it would be competitive. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were,
1: yeah, there were, there,
2: there were songs where we would like. Like subtly diss one another.
1: I mean, so it's like a it's like a battle between the song, yeah, and it adds to the okay, tension, hey, and the, and, the, and it like gets it.
2: Yeah, it was it was songs where I remember writing the verse, and I heard you know uh um, it was a of doing a group named OMG, and I was like, oh no, I got to rewrite my verse. Like he smoked me I on fix that. So shit. It actually, I feel like when you're in a when you're in a group, when you're in a member of group, it actually makes you better. Because you have people to kind of, like you said, compete against and work against, and, and it's like, oh, he did that. Oh, let me go back and do this, or let me go back and get inspired. So, like, flash forward, and it's funny because we ended up, you know, we ended up having a difference of opinion on where we wanted to go career-wise. Mm-hmm. We had got a um, a record um, offer from Motown Records, and we ended up because of an internal disagreement, not signing and kind of going our separate ways. And so like, um, flash forward to like one hood. I mean, it really is, you know, the song that we did, we did a song called, um, um, the government and it started with like Farouk saying, I'm a write a rap to, um, a beat, uh, push your T, um, just did a song. Um, oh, I can't remember the song, but like fat Joe's on there is crack. It's, it's a bringing banging beat. Um, and F- Farouk wrote a rap to it. You know what I'm saying? Or should I say Saeed? That's his rap name. And, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to write something to it." And I wrote something to it. And then we got the beat that we used. We got a we we got an original beat. Are oh, we going to use this beat? That's and then it was like, "Oh, man, you should write something. Trouble, you should write something." And it became like this, you know, complete. song. firstly, when, when Manny wrote his, it was like, "Oh, snap. Okay, well, this is really it's <laughs> really going somewhere." And so that's kind of how it was. It was really a, like that collaborative, but we're all we're all like playing off of like I played off of Farouk's verse. Feeling it and and so it's kinda like, okay, this is the this is the subject matters, the cadence, okay. And then boom, we do it.
1: You know what I mean? And 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 like from a skill set perspective, I mean, could you are you like skilled, like just straight up freestyle or you the type from a creative point? I need to write this shit down and work on it and and, and get it out there.
2: Yeah, I'm a writer. I mean, um so I had I had a I had a blessing of actually uh working with um you know, he doesn't like the term ghostwriter, uh, but he's one of like hip hop's, you know Best we'll known quote, creative influence, writers. yeah. His name is Rhymefest. So he co-wrote "Jesus Walks," um, he co-wrote "Glory." Um, so he's one of the he's one of the only hip hop artists to have a, a, a Grammy and an Oscar. And um, so you know, writing with him, it was really about like making sure every line has a has a purpose, has a hit, like no nothing throw away. So he made me like normally what I do is I write a I write a verse. And then I'll go back and I'll say, okay, where are the weak points? Where are the points where maybe I wasn't, I didn't make myself as clear as I want to, or the lines didn't resonate didn't in a way that it I didn't, It
1: didn't to. land. Yeah,
2: yeah, and then I'll go and i so that's how that, the verse that I, you oh. know, uh, uh, spit I, ironically saying, you know, mama was a saint, not Teresa, she had a better heart. Daddy was a Blackstone, 73rd and Eberhardt. You know what I'm saying? Like the two sides of me kind of coming together, that was me kind of so i will write that and then i went back and there were there were parts of that rhyme that i had wrote that i took out because it was like nah that wasn't strong enough okay i'm add this and so i'm very detailed in so it might take me longer as a writer um than just freestyle and i want every line to hit i'm i'm, right. I'm interested in like my my rhymes making a point and you know a feeling that folks get from from what they hear from me
1: that's awesome, man. And, and thank you. Thank you for that insight because I think that's something that people don't understand the creative process in hip-hop of, of even being a solo artist versus being in a group.
0: Hey, everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call The Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce The podcast, and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today I'm sharing all of my secrets behind The podcast, and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcaster. you're using it for B2B, B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at theposcourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks.
1: I want to talk about um, the Nation of Islam. You're a registered member of that. Dude, what's yes. what's a what's two ways I want to go about this one? What's the biggest misconception out there in the world if someone's not part of it?
2: Yeah, I think... Um... I think that probably the biggest misconception is like people in the Nation of Islam like hate white people, hate Jewish people. Like that's probably the biggest misconception that it's like that it's a a movement built on hate. Right. Um, Now, I will say, like, I'm not uh, I'm not an active member now, so I just want to make that you know, determination because I didn't want, you know, I don't want anybody to think I'm I said
1: registered member. Registered Yeah, yeah, member.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted, to, you know, I, I just kind of be clear because like, I, I got, I got
1: get, a triple A card doesn't yeah. mean I get my car towed. That's right? what I'm, saying. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm not I'm not a spokesman for, it, but I think that's the thing. I think like, you know, and, and particularly, you know, post-trier life in Pittsburgh, we've done a lot of black Jewish solidarity. So I've had these conversations. Like yeah, for man. me, for me, the nation of Islam was like a a um an, an ability to like one. Um, I was trying, you know, I wanted to do something more positive with my life. And it's like, okay, here's a here's a community that is also doing positive things That's looking at, you know, uh, the problems and issues of the black community. That's like pro-black first. And so, and there's nothing and that
1: wrong I with really, that. There's nothing wrong with people. Yeah, yeah. are yeah. I mean, really doing positive do that. Pro- I mean, you are, because that's your, your crew. a hundred percent. there's so like, bad about that. Yeah.
2: So that was, that was my introduction was, and it, and it helped me, um, you know, begin to like study, you know, study both the Quran and the Bible, like, and it helped me as like, the work I do now, like, it helped me become like a community organizer, because, you know, at, at a very young age, I was the minister of the mosque in Pittsburgh. Um, and so I was, so that was also an interesting experience, particularly, I'm also an artist, like, some, you know, talking to older believers that are looking at me like, you know, what is this doing? Good, right? <laughs> you know, what is this dude doing? And, and so, um, so it was a, it was a a, 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 an experience like a, there was a training and a service that I got that I use every, every, every day.
1: But, I mean, look, talk about the organization. I mean, that's something I've, 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 learned too about the, about the, um, the nation of Islam too, from an organizational standpoint and how they operate. Have you taken some of those best practices into leading one hood, which we'll get into in a minute. Like what are those early lessons from like how to run an organization? Cause that's Absolutely. big, that's a big takeaways.
2: Yeah. Like, so, and, and like, like, so also like how to inspire people, how to, how to, how to move people. Right. So like, particularly being, being so young, I had to study, I had to show that I had a understanding of like the Quran, the Bible, like the theology of, you know, uh, Elijah Muhammad. So I had to, I had to study because I had to teach all the time, right? So like t- for me, like in terms of like public speaking, you know, because I would I would be teaching sometimes three, four times a week. And so now to get in front of a mic and get in front of a crowd where a lot of people are, you know, all public speaking becomes like they're very fearful of, it, it's like natural to me because I did it so much. And you know what I'm saying? I, I did, I prepared, I, you know, put my, you know, uh, uh, lectures together. And so, like, for me now, particularly if I do public speaking or go out and say something, I'm very comfortable doing that uh, because I did so much, oh, you know, when I was a, a part of the nation.
1: Who was it like meeting Louis Farrakhan? Who was
2: that experience? Oh, man. Like? It was, yeah. I mean, it was, I, again, I think, like, people, you know, p- people have this view of Mr. Farrakhan that's very, you know, every time you see him, he's, he's speaking loud. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's like mad. So, like, you know, why he's so mad? It's such a loving, like, it's so interesting. Um, it's so many stories. Like one story, I remember he came to Pittsburgh, and I I I went to the hotel room, and he was like, um, he said, um, he said I I want something. He said, you know, he, he said, um. Is there a good Jewish deli around here? I want something. And also, he, was, like pastrami, it wasn't, man. he wasn't joking. He was like, "Yo, I want something from." So I was like, "Okay, well, Squirrel Hill was the area." So I think, like, again, people think he he's really a very like super loving person, um, and and to understand like he's a, um, you know, he 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 definitely is from a different you know he's he's yeah, almost man. ninety now. I think yeah. he's eighty nine. Different so era, a different life, he saw um, shit that the,
1: we, thankfully, you know,
2: a hundred percent. But at the same time, like my conversations that I that, that I've had with him have been about like how can we help our community? You know, um, I was one of the people. This is when I had um had, had had left. You know, the Ministry of the Nation of Islam that helped organize the twentieth anniversary of the Million Man March it was called Justice or Else. And I remember having conversations with Minister Farrakhan around like, um, hey, you know, brother Minister, like, um. These three these three women that, that started Black Lives Matter are queer black women. You know what I'm saying? And like, um, if we be, if we if like certain if we use certain language, we could alienate this this group of people and this movement that we're seeing happening right now. You know, so again, I'm coming as somebody that, you know, was in Ferguson, was in Baltimore, knew these folks. And so I could kind of say to him, and then seeing him come at Justice of Elson really and really to me be more inclusive. Um in and, in and, and how he presented himself, I thought that was that that was a, a pretty dope.
1: That's that's an interesting tickling. you mentioned before tree, tree of life, uh the, the, yeah. the temple shooting. Um how did how did you show up for, for the Jewish community and how did they receive it? Yeah, so um I, again,
2: this is inclusive. a I don't know how long of a story I can tell, but um oh, whatever you want
1: man, it's my show, I go as long as I want. <laughs> so um... my story, I write it.
2: Um when the Tree of Life happened, so again, like when I remember Tree of Life happened and prior to the Tree of Life, um really four months before Tree of Life, we had a um a high profile police killing of a young man named Antoine Rose II. He was shot three times in his back while running away. And so Pittsburgh is a, you know, for those that don't know, Pittsburgh is like 23% black, or are majority white city. And so in anytime we ever had organizing marches, or it'd always be like multicultural, right? And so there was a lot of, you know, activists in the Jewish community that came and stood with us uh, uh, to get justice for Antoine. So when Tree of Life happened and those and, and the folks were making a call, you know, particularly the first call was like, hey, it was like to protest, you know, Donald Trump. You know, a lot of people believe, including myself, that a lot of the rhetoric that Donald Trump, you know, um, helped to amplify was what you know led to what happened at the Tree of Life. You know what I'm saying? Um don't, and so I don't, I, remember I don't disagree
1: with that man. I do yeah. not so we just
2: showed up as allies. We just showed up. We came we stood with, with our community and um but and then so right after that this is where it gets so right after that we had done we we have what we call the Artivist Academy. We have an academy where we um are at the intersection of art and activism. And so we are supporting artists that are socially conscious and activists. So we were having our first Artivist Academy event and um we had just announced right before Tree of Life that um uh Tamika Mallory and my son were gonna be the principal speakers, right? So after the Tree of Life, people saw the picture with Tamika Mallory, who you know people have accused of being anti-Semitic. I like I don't agree, but again, I'm I'm not a Jewish person, I can't speak to you know the hurt and pain of, of Jewish people. So I got a call from an artist that we work with, um, a, a Jewish woman uh, named Fat Man D. That's her artist name. And she said, hey, yo, like they they, they killing y'all on Jewish Facebook. Like they drag on hood. <laughs> and I was like, oh, damn. So I, I, I went into it and I said, hey, I'm willing to sit down and meet with anybody. Um, I didn't want to do the Facebook thing. I was like, you know, nah, anybody talk toxic." To me. Man. Yeah. So I so uh, I, I met with like uh, groups of Jewish people. Uh, throughout that week and just began to have like conversations. Um and it was it was enlightening to me. You know what I'm saying? It was a lot of uh things that I learned and sitting down and building with the Jewish community. Um pe- you know, people found out like I had a fellowship from the Nathan Cummings Foundation. Um the Nathan Cummings is a Jewish foundation. You know what I'm saying? So like um when we actually did this event, what was so, what was so uh interesting about it, the day of the event, um it was a snowstorm. So Tamika didn't even get to the event until it was over. But like a lot of people in the Jewish community came out. They didn't know one hood. They didn't know us. They didn't know what we do. They saw us. They saw what we did. They saw the the performances and they are really like supportive. So it led to a lot. And then, you know, uh, Sharon Alpert, who was the CEO of Nathan Cummings Foundation, also came out, you know, herself, you know what I'm saying, Um, as a Jewish woman. And so that led to a lot of conversations with, you know, we did a lot of solidarity work with Ben the Ark. Uh, progressive stuff, jewish man. organization
1: repair a, the world you're a builder and, man you're a builder you're a builder man that's yeah, what you so do it led, man it you bring people together you were meant it. to be in Pittsburgh man
2: and I'm telling you it actually led to but again like I learned like I didn't I never I looked at people as white I never like put white people into different categories right so like I looked at Squirrel Hill the Jewish neighborhood in Pittsburgh as a white neighborhood I didn't so it, it did actually you know having conversations with folks it made me understand. I would think, like, you know, as black people, as a black person, you 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 endear anti blackness everywhere, at all times. I mean, every day, and a lot of times, just going out in the world, you have to say to your mind, like, "Am I going to turn up, or am I going to just let this slide?" So, when, when 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 Jewish people would, you know, it would be some. I'd be like, "That seems small. Why are they turning up on something that seems like a small thing?" But then I I didn't know the history of. Oh, you know, when people would start with words and then violence would come upon Jewish communities and then Jewish people have to move. You know, a, a, a dude told me. A lot of the similarities, day,
0: right? A
1: lot of
2: similarities. Yeah. A friend of mine told me the other day, he said, did you know that um, the United States, this has been the longest place the Jewish people have been? Because that blew my mind. I was like, what? I had no idea. And so I think for me, it was like, OK, like, how can we. Collectively, come together to battle white supremacy. You know what I'm saying. I, I felt like Antoine was a victim of of, of white supremacist murder uh, by this police officer, and so were the victims of the Tree of Life. And so I think we met his mom.
1: I think we met his mom. Yeah, his mom. Oh, yeah, his mom yeah, is yeah.
2: is a, is our a, a fellow. And so and, and ironically, you know, people, you know, it, it's out there. But his mom, um, his mom, his grandmother's Jewish. Antoine's grandmother is Jewish. Is, is 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 white? You know, Michelle uh, uh biracial. Her mom is Jewish. You know what I'm saying? So that's even another thing around, like, look how closely we are connected, and we might not even know. Sure. Um, and so that's what we've been trying to build in Pittsburgh. Like, how we do a lot of work with the Holocaust Center in Pittsburgh as well. Amazing, how, right? how can we build bridges? And you know, it'd be, it'd be this. We went to. You know, this was the four year anniversary of the Tree of Life. We go, we just go as an organization to the event, and just showing up, we got so many people that were just like, it was almost like they were like, man, we're so happy you came, and it's like, nah, we gotta come. Yeah. You know, we we're didn't, in this we, together, man.
1: We're in this together, yeah, man. It's one world, on, one. dude. I got, I got to ask you, hot take, hot take, hot take on the yes. spot here. yes. Ky- Kyrie and Kanye, what the fuck, man? I mean, you know, give Kanye, me a hot take. Give me a straight up hot take from the heart.
2: Kanye. Is, so I text a friend of mine. And I said, um, I said, um, you know, Kanye, basically I said Kanye is a white supremacist. I said Kanye is hanging with this was this was two months ago. This is before he went off the bridge.
1: Yeah.
2: I said, hey, I said Kanye is with Candace Owens, he's with Tucker Carlson, he loves Donald Trump. He's a I said, I told my
1: friend he's a literal white but supremacist. But you didn't think it was just for show, you didn't think this was just no, an act? No, like to I get say, fucking even, ratings and this and that. When,
2: when you say like like George Floyd died of fentanyl is a white supremacist. That that's straight from the white supremacist playbook, and it's an attempt to try to um, bring down the movement that came out of you know um, 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 George Floyd's death. Right. And so, and my friend was like, "That's a reach." And I, I, when he did all the Hitler stuff, I emailed it back to him. So I do think that you know, um, yeah, he's around white supremacists. That's who he's look. He's with Nick Fuentes. He's with the January Six people.
1: I feel it's like a Chappelle f- skit, right? I feel 100%. it's like a Chappelle skit happening with the with the right. white supremacists, right? Like what the fuck. I,
2: yeah, Kyrie, I think was genuinely trying to find about himself, and and this is you know I just talked to a friend of mine that that knows Kyrie I'm be on this one, and and I think Kyrie, so and and then Kyrie, he, the issue wasn't really, um, he he right after people asked him about the documentary, he said, "Oh, I didn't know that, my bad," but he has a he has an adversarial relationship with the media, and a lot of it yeah, had to it, do with the COVID stuff.
1: A lot yeah, of it he didn't get he didn't get the vaccine. He didn't want to play. He already had a bad rap in the 100%. media. So, so that's what the yeah. media does. They fucking stumble all that 100%. shit.
2: 100%. But it did reveal a lot of things to me. Um and so I I, I think like for, for for Kyrie, um I felt like he handled it in a way um that ended up becoming positive. Um now it, it, it it's interesting to see like, you know, Nike cancel them and all this. So that's fascinating, right? And the, the most fascinating thing to me about the Kyrie situation is the fact that Amazon was like, hey yo, we just gonna hey yeah. and, and you know Amazon could do that because Amazon's like, what you gonna do? You gonna go to the store? You gonna walk to a store? Mm-hmm. No, you're gonna have <laughs> we gonna do, you gonna right, hit us up exactly. and we're gonna deliver it right to your door. And so the fact that Amazon was like, we ain't taking it down and so I think as a black person, you say, OK, well, we want to see that energy towards Amazon that was at Kyrie. But it's a different situation. And so, it again, I think it led to even even the Chappelle on Saturday Night Live. You know, I looked at Dave Chappelle's monologue on Saturday Night Live. I thought it was brilliant. I talked to Jewish people that said, OK, but these these parts hurt us. You know what I'm saying and so for us again it's like we've been doing this dialogue so we're actually looking and saying like okay how can we expand some of this dialogue because in my experience um a lot of it is language right I'll give an example I had a Jewish so you know I I, I went to Palestine I did a song called checkpoint right and um, and it was my experience in Palestine that was a crazy experience right so I, I had a, I had a Jewish person say to me, how they interpreted the term from the river to the sea. And it's like, from your from a Jewish person's perspective, they're like, we look at that as you don't want Jewish people in this area at all. And it's based on a historical experience that Jewish people have. They were forced out of different places. So now if I put myself in a person's shoes that's had that experience, I could understand why you would think that. You understand know what I'm saying? And so I think like, I was like, Spectrum oh. Spectrum okay. everything, man. Yeah, I can I can understand from your historical um um uh, experience why because I was like I told you know I told her I said man I said that a million times I never looked at it that way I looked at it as just freedom like we're asking for freedom as Black people in America like freedom to move freedom to live how you want to live and do what you want to do but it's like so I feel like a lot of times the language trips us up. It's positioning, man. Yeah, and we come from different places. We come from a different culture. Black people, like we, jo- like we talk about this all the time. Like, if a black person likes you, they will joke on you. Like we joke on, like we we play the dozens. We and that's like we're actually showing you love. But if you're not from our culture. You, some you
1: might some-
2: think, like, Yeah, we're purposely trying to put you down. And it's like, nah, that's like that's like a way of it's ball busting. It. It's
1: working, brother, it's brotherhood, man. Dude, exactly. all right. So, let's, let's,
2: let's, let's... Yeah, so some of those cultural things, we're gonna if the more we talk, the more we meet, we can get past some of those cultural things, those language things, and get to the heart. Because at the at the at the heart, to me it's a similar struggle.
1: Yeah, dude, let's talk about heart, man. Let's talk about the One Hood story. Give it to us, man. Tell us the origin. Give us, give us a down and dirty. Give us what it's all about. <laughs> man, give us a heart. Because so, I felt that. I saw it, man. Yeah. Let's hear what it's all about.
2: So One Hood actually started around um, community violence. I don't use the term black on black crime. I feel like that's a white supremacist term, right? People commit crime where they live. We don't say- don't say black people oh, where I, I live.
1: I'm comm- a like criminal.
2: <laughs> <laser> crime, right. <laughs> Mexico as Mexico, Mexico. It's no Mexican
1: it's, on Mexican crime, right? Canadian and nobody on Canadian crime. That, right? on, nobody no says one says that shit. I agree. I never even, yeah. dude, I've I, i, I I've never like, I've, I haven't processed that yet, but that's an interesting one that's going to rattle around my head for a little bit. Thank yeah, you.
2: Yeah. So we we saw that, right? And, and it was like, we, you know, this is 2006, right? It wasn't like that we hated or we didn't like the NAACP or the Urban League. We just felt that they were in touch with What was happening right now in our community um, and so we felt like we wanted to do something to put broad hip hop. We wanted to bring hip hop culture and music and art into the space of activism. And that's what we called it. One hood. So one hood was our way of saying our unity is our power. Right. That all of our communities are dealing with all of these various issues. But if we came together instead of fighting with another, we could deal with the systemic root causes. And so we came out and we started to do, you know, activism around hip hop culture uh, you know, we started to bring art into the space and we just had this. I mean, it like when we first started 100 Pittsburgh, it was like it, it got so big. It was to the point where we had to stop doing interviews like it was everywhere. You know what I'm saying? And and we got a little scared like, oh, shit. Like, you know what I mean? So we started um, actually. So we, we were doing some activism. Then we started an academy. So Heinz Heinz Endowment did a study in 2010. How how the media in Pittsburgh covers black men. Ninety percent of the time is crime and sports, right? No when positivity. Comes, yeah, sports with,
1: positivity. Which yeah, can, what right.
2: What Quality of life stories about black men is less than three percent. So I had just did a song called "What if, What If the Tea Party Was Black" that went viral. If you remember the Tea Party, I kind of flipped it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I I I read a um, essay by Tim Wise. I made a rap about it. He was like somebody made a rap about an essay I wrote, and it blew up, right? And it enabled it went viral. Enabled me to like leave my job to have a career as a rapper, to sign a a record deal, Um, but I come back to a city. Pittsburgh is traditionally the poorest inner city black community in the country. We're number one, normally it's Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, or like the top three. And so I wanted to do something in our community. So we started an academy to teach black men how to analyze media, create media for themselves, utilizing social media. I came off of, initially when I did the Gina 6, I came off of MySpace. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't go, somebody didn't discover me. I put a song on MySpace, it blew up, I was out there, right? I put a song on YouTube, it blew up, now I got a career. And so I felt like I wasn't special, that we could use social media in order to kind of change the narrative around Black men. And because I rap and one of our other founding members, Paradise, was part of a rap group called X-Clan in the late 80s, early 90s, we attracted a lot of rappers and producers. So then we became like almost like an arts collective. And we were the people that, like, we would rap at the at the at the rallies, and you know, what I'm saying all of that. Then I got, you know, the Nathan Cummings Fellowship to launch the Artivist Academy. I was tra- a traveling artist, really, from 2012 to 2017. I was doing maybe about 200 shows a year, speaking at universities and shows. Nathan Cummings Fellowship allowed me to come back to Pittsburgh and actually run the organization. Felt and something. And build it. Right. And then, you know, Hines gave us substantial support and it's like, you know, now you know we were running, running, and then in 2020, 2020 was like the first year that it, it was beneficial to be a Black-led organization. Like prior to 2020, it was like people, you know, that, hey bro, people thinking like we was going to buy a bunch of chains if they gave us money. Yeah. I don't know what they were thinking, but it was like, we need support. So in 2020 we got a lot of support. We got support from folks like the Jordan brand and Starbucks and you know what I'm saying? And it was like that support allowed us to grow, hire more people and have an effect so much so that, you know, when we bring hip hop into political engagement, right? Um, In 2020, we did not start in 2019. In 2020, Pennsylvania decided the election for Joe Biden. In 2021, we elected the first black mayor in Pittsburgh's history, uh, Mayor Ed Ganey. And this past year in 2022, we elected the first Black woman congressperson in Pennsylvania history, not hey. from Philly side.
1: No, from the other
2: side. Western Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh. And so we've had we've been having a lot of success. Um, and we're growing and we're getting stronger. And you know, uh, we're, you know, our these are our five pillars of one hood: art, activism, education, media, and civic engagement. We have a a, a site called blackpittsburgh.com to kind of tell our own stories in, in journalistic form. And so um, the more support we've gotten, the more uh, ability we've been able to have to affect change in our region, in our community. And for us, Pittsburgh was called the most livable city in America, even though we have one of the poorest Black communities okay. in the country. In 2018, Pittsburgh was called the worst city in America for a Black woman to live. Um, you know, So we, we're always about making it livable for everybody not just a select few and that's been our work and thankfully you know we've been able to have a lot of success.
1: That's a good stuff, man. What's what uh, what are the what are the big initiatives on your plate heading into
2: twenty twenty three? Man, so um a couple of things. So one, you know, we were blessed to <clears throat> get um a, a national grant from the Wallace Foundation. We of 13 arts organizations of color to get support uh, uh, from the Wallace Foundation. So that support not only was monetary, but we have an ethnographer to help tell our organizational history. We have like a, a research team to help us put together like our theory of action. Um, and so like that's going to help us really develop our Artivist Academy to the level that we've always wanted it uh, to be. Um, we have, um, you know, we're, we're, we have a podcast called uh, This Week in White Supremacy. Yeah, um, I, I watch just,
1: it, man.
2: Yeah, we it's, just have It's spot on, body. man. It's spot yeah. on.
1: Yeah, we're,
2: we're actually in negotiations right now with, with a network to actually, you know, help, help grow that audience um, as well. We have um, two really important, uh, you know, races coming up. One is our county executive who runs our county, and another is our DA. When we first got in civic what engagement, was it was critical, because, man.
1: Yeah. Control some money and, the,
2: and the, the, yeah, yeah, it was because of our DA race. So, like these are I like I like it's you know I know folk people focused on the last election because it was national. And look every every race we touched, I'm gonna just talk pop my collar a little bit. Every race we touched, last election we won. Fetterman, Shapiro, you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm blessed to be on um, um, Governor-elect Shapiro transition team. Like we out here, we doing it. But, you know, these local races oftentimes are more impactful and important than the national race. Like On we're the ground, John man. On the ground.
1: Senator.
2: Yeah. So we have that coming up. And I think for us, it's also just like growing our organizational footprint Hopefully, we're hoping to hire more people. We're hoping to help more young black creatives in Pittsburgh. And we're looking at expanding to different places. So you mentioned Brooklyn. You know, you might see one hood in Brooklyn, you know, I'm saying shortly and some other places. So that's that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, We feel like we have a good model. Right. And we our 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 model is really I feel like, you know, there was a point in time when I was a political rapper and I was going to stuff like Netroots. I was like the political rapper. And I will always feel like we don't use art and culture enough in progressive political spaces, right? We're cooler. You know what I'm saying? like We're cooler. And a lot of artists agree with a lot of the political messages, but we don't engage them at a high enough level, and so for us, we're bringing art and culture into the education spaces, into the schools. We're bringing art and culture, and when I say art and culture, I'm specifically meaning hip hop culture, into you know spaces around you know progressive politics. We're bringing art and culture and hip hop culture into media and journalism spaces, and we're having success with it. So we feel like we got a really great model that we can take to other places to hopefully affect change um, in those places as well.
1: I love it, man. When when it's all said and done, how do you want one hood to be remembered?
2: Um, I mean, you know, as as a group that really wanted to see a better world, you know, what I'm saying ultimately, like, you know, it's I I, I joke about it, like, if you look at my discography, because you know, I made a lot of songs about police brutality. Like, people will know me for the song I did with Trayvon. I was the first artist to do a song around Trayvon. First artist to do a song about Oscar Grant. You know, I did a lot of, you know, the the song that I did with. Um, uh, Mr. Bellafoni and San was called "Don't Let Him Get Away with Murder." It was reflecting Sankofa. on Ferguson. So a lot of people look and and that you know it's like whenever mm. you see me rapping, I'm mad or sad, but I, <laughs> but I'm actually an optimist. Like I actually it's emotion. Believe, it's emotion. Yeah, but I, I like believe we have the power to change the world. Like and 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 so I think like I would like people to look back and say, you know what, you know. They didn't wait to something happen, right? They they were proactive and trying to make Pittsburgh a better place, trying to make you know America a better place, and trying to make the world a better place. And like that was, you know, our, like we it wasn't it wasn't for us. It wasn't about trying to get the most money, the biggest car, the you know the the the, the freshest outfit. It was really about how to, yeah. I have children, you know. For those that have children coming up, like we want to make this world better for them, that's and that's what legacy. I'm in it for.
1: Well, yeah, it spot, spot on, man, right? Like, and I talk about legacy all the time. My legacy is making leaving this world a better place for my children. That's that's a legacy, man. Dude, uh, before before I wrap it up and bring it home, and, and first and foremost, thank you for opening up and, and just being absolutely. fucking straight with me, man. Dude, before I go, and I'm I gotta read this one, I have a quick question that came from my producer, Chris. He wanted me to ask you you interviewed uh, Lupe Fiasco recently, uh, legend, yes. master lyricist. Um, yeah. unique, powerful mind that goes beyond hip hop. He wants to know what was it like to sit there and kick it with him?
2: It was it was really. Do- I mean, I was. I'm gonna be honest. I was a little. I never. I didn't know Lupe, right? And the the the, t- the experience I had with Lupe was about seven years ago. I was in Philly. We were doing a conversation on Lupe. People were tweeting about it, and Lupe tweeted, "I'll be there in five minutes," and he showed oh, up. Shit. <laughs> it was real cool. shit, right? Yeah, but he showed up. He came. He spoke. Mm. So, um, I didn't really. I didn't know how he was gonna come, and he really came, man, with love you know, with, 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 um, a lot of insight. This was right after all the stuff started happening with Kanye. If you haven't seen the interview, his insight into Kanye was very powerful as well. Um, and he was just honest, you know? Um, and so as a fan, he's at MIT. I mean, the dude just, he's teaching a class at MIT right now on hip hop. He's one of the most brilliant Brilliant. people, um, that I ever know. I did want to say one thing though. Right. Because your, you know, your your background is marketing, and you talk a lot about marketing, and like for us, like I, I think even though we're a community organization, I think about marketing and branding all the time. And the greatest contribution anybody made to our organization was early on, when we first started, a designer named Will Fagans gave us the One Hood logo, and that logo has been like our calling card. And when we show up, when we're in our shirts, it's like it it's becomes gone. like a thing. So just as you're like, because we're doing um, uh, uh, altruistic stuff, we still got We still competing against... We're still competing for attention. We're still competing for eyes. Of course, eyes. you are. Still, it's a modern world, man. hundred percent. So, like that mark. So, I think about even though I'm, you know, I'm out here for change. I think about marketing, branding, how things look. You know, when we when we called our show, "What Black Pittsburgh Needs to Know," that was intentional, right? This week, in white supremacy said it's intentional. I'm trying True. to think about marketing, and so like we could probably have a whole nother conversation around like marketing and branding because that's the thing I probably think about the most, and that's. That has helped us. Our logo, our approach to making sure that when we do things, we do it at a very professional high level has helped us to separate us from other organizations that may do similar work. You may do similar work. Nah, but you it's ain't a polish, up. man. It's here a, a wrapper up. on yeah, it, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's the packaging. It's, it's everything. So, so let's, let's bring it home here. There's been a tremendous conversation. Dude, I, I ask all my guests these two questions, because for me, this is my master class. This brings it home. and ties it all together. Jasiri, what is what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every day? Oh, man. monster so something, something you start the day with, something that's always kind of that little birdie on your shoulder.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been blessed to spend a lot of time with Harry Belafonte, who to me is the greatest arts activist of our generation. Uh, I think Mr. B is like 93. Um, He, you spend five minutes with him, he talks about Paul Robeson and Paul Robeson's effect on him as his mentor. And, you know, Paul Robeson said, artists are the gatekeepers of truth. And so I think about like when I come into the world, I'm an artist. I think about like my responsibility to make sure like the truth is a part of whether it be my art, whether it be my organizing, you know, that authenticity. So when we organize with like younger artists, We don't censor them we have one rule and one rule is you got to speak your truth if it's not true get it out of here because that's our responsibility as ours
1: amen amen and and last but not least man like you look back at your life you look back at those tough times growing up, making the move to Monroeville, and getting fucking shit on man racist thrown in your face having to fight you look at those really tough times when you had to dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up and forward and now you sit here with gratitude mission purpose being a fucking leader in the community in this world and you want to show up what keeps you focused what is your beacon jesari what is your north star man
2: oh man um I, I think i think man pop you know i would say like you know the spirit of my mom you know my mom passed in 2017 and you know when, my, when i found out my mom passed i was actually at a rally in philadelphia um uh for, for healthcare for workers, right? Like using my gifts and talents for that. And so like I look at the sacrifice I, I feel like my mom, you know, sacrificed. My mom did she didn't she didn't like her job, right? But my mom made that sacrifice to to allow me to do what I love to do and to do it at a at a level in which I feel like it's it's purposeful. So for me, I, I think about her sacrifice and it's like now it's no question. Do I gotta sacrifice of course, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm part of a line of of, of somebody that put their all into me and now I'm able to put that into the world. And so yeah, I, I would say, moms, you know what I'm saying, you know, I appreciate you.
1: That's what it's all about. Big shout out to all the moms out there raising good kids like Jessari here and and passing mm-hmm. that on to your kids, right? Like that's what gives us the foundation to be good parents. And maybe 100%. those who didn't and, and maybe those who didn't grow up with good parents. You could lead by example to show them how you're, dude, the people in your community, your kids, man, you look at it like that, like you're taking care of them and showing them the right way and keep on doing that, man.
2: I always said, like, because my my dad wasn't around that if I ever had a child, I would never not be in my child's life. So I'm thankful to be a a father. Um, That's one of the most important jobs. And I'm like, I'm in my child's life. I'm not going nowhere um, because I felt that pain. And so I got to pay it forward. You know what I mean?
1: Jasiri man, dude, I want to thank you, uh, everyone. If you want to find out more, mm-hmm. go to onehood.org. Where else could folks connect with you? Where can they learn more?
2: Um, you know, so we're on social media. Um, I'm Jasiri underscore X on Twitter and Instagram. Those that's what I use the most. Um, and we're on uh, where One Hood on Twitter, the number one hood, and we're One Hood Media on Instagram. Also, you know, we have a YouTube page, which is the number one hood media, and Facebook. We have shows every week uh this week in white supremacy we just launched a new show called brunch with a black man our director of advocacy and policy miracle jones is having conversations with black men about mental health important. uh which is super important so yeah Thanks. so come check us out and then go to blackpittsburgh.com read about what's happening in our community and, and check Dude, us out
1: it's important and just quick note uh you know we, we lost uh twitch this week you know really important for black men really? to speak up in mental health and men in general men in general right like you know especially yeah. like Speak up. Check in on your friends. Remember, Desiree, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Hang with me one moment here to, to follow to follow what we're talking about here. Check in on your friends. Check in. Say hello. What's up? And not just okay, cool, you're good, but really make sure you make sure your friends are good, and that's important. And I, w-
2: and I would say like therapy is important. You know, um, I was late to therapy. I was one of them people like, what's some other person going to tell me? And 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 the first time I went to therapy, particularly, you know, when I lost my mom, I just bottled everything up. First time went to the ter- therapy, I just I just bawled. I just let it all came out. So having somebody to talk to about your problems, like, you know, we have organizations here in Pittsburgh that you can get it for free if you need it. Like find some a therapist, a licensed therapist to talk to and share your problems. It will make your life increasingly better.
1: Take take note of that. Hang with me one moment here, dude. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You're open, you, honest, keeping it real, all the good shit you're doing locally abroad and for everyone else and for everyone listening out there I hope the show resonated with you if it did share it sharing means caring leave a review rating it goes a long way you know where to find out more at the remember take care of each other look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast take care everybody
0: wisdom is forever but for us it's time to go thank you for joining us